aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Please be seated. Let us pray. Merciful God, as we enter Holy Week, turn our hearts again to Jerusalem and to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Stir up within us the gift of faith that we may not only praise him with our lips, but may follow him in the way of the cross. And may we as your beloved say, Amen. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent his two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this. The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them, they brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest heaven! When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee.
You may be seated. Well, kids, as we continue waving our palms as all glory, laud, and honor echoes in our ears, I hope that you have experienced what those crowds may have been feeling all those years ago as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. It was a time of excitement in the city as pilgrims were coming in for the Passover festival and doubled or even tripled in size. But as we heard in the scripture that Pastor Nancy read, Matthew states that Jerusalem was in turmoil asking, who is this? Who is this person riding in on a donkey? Why are they spreading their cloaks on the ground and waving branches in the air? And why are the crowds shouting out Hosanna, a word that in Aramaic meant save us we pray? So let's pretend for a moment that we were part of that crowd on that Palm Sunday morning. What would you say if someone asked you who Jesus was? Anyone Bray, I know this is an intimidating place to answer a question. Who would you say that Jesus was if someone had asked you on the street that Palm Sunday morning? Any thoughts? Yeah, one oh, thank you. Yes. Someone who, someone who prays to God, that absolutely is true. So back then, the crowds that morning were calling Jesus a prophet and the son of David, which meant that they wanted him to be a certain kind of king. And in some ways, the procession that morning did look like what you would expect from a king, but in other ways, it was way too humble. And that contrast between the two perfectly captures everything that is to come this week. This holy week is a week of contradictions and juxtapositions, which are two very fancy words that really just mean it's a week where we experience lots of highs and lots of lows. And sometimes we might not even be certain how to feel. Raise your hand if you've ever had something really good and really bad happen to you in the same week. Has that been the case for anyone? I'm sure a lot of us have. It can be really, really jarring. But in Holy Week, there are celebrations and sadness, betrayals and faithfulness, tragedy and triumph, and even life and death. Even though the crowds were cheering for Jesus as he rode into Jerusalem, they would soon be jeering and mocking him as they sent him to the cross. But even in the face of rejection and hurt, Jesus still loved the people anyway. A love that is greater than moments when we might feel hurt, a love that is greater than moments when we would feel alone. The crowds may not have fully understood who Jesus was on that Palm Sunday morning, but we join, and we join them in giving thanks to God on this day for the love that was shown and giving thanks that God's love will never, ever let us go. So for that, we give thanks and celebrate today, and we will continue learning about Palm Sunday up in our classrooms.
God asks us, is not this the fast I choose? To lose the bonds of injustice, to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the homeless poor into your house, to clothe the naked? Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Having heard these promises, let us confess our sins. Please join me in the litany of confession. O Holy One, we are too distressed to notice that you join us in the parade. We are too deeply grieved to be aware that you sit beside us at the table. We proclaimed our own knowledge about why bad things happen, about why the rich get richer, about why the world feels so broken. We have assured ourselves that this is the way that things must be, but this life is in your hands. Our lives are in your hands. O oh, Holy One, speak to us, fill our silences. Comfort us with your love so that we may Trust us to find your answers when we are finally tired from our own. Save us, O Holy One, with your steadfast love. Amen. promises us, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, all God's promises are yes. Friends, believe the good news. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Grace and peace to you, everyone, and welcome to worship at Fourth Presbyterian Church on this Palm Sunday. In this season, we are drawn closer to God in our prayer and reflection, and we hope to be drawn closer to one another and as a community of faith, too, welcoming one another here because God first welcomed us. As we enter this holy week, I now invite you to turn and greet your neighbors, sharing the peace of Christ with them. And for those who are joining us online, we hope you'll take the time to let us know that you are joining us today, whether you do that via the QR code on your screen or on the link below your video. And we extend a warm welcome to you as well. So, beloved, May the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And all peace be with you. 
Well, there's never enough peace in the world, but that's enough peace for now. <laughs> As we look ahead in these coming weeks for other ways to build community and connection, we hope that you'll take a moment to look through the closing pages of the bulletin for a variety of ways to learn and volunteer and engage in the life of this congregation. And if you're here in the sanctuary, we hope you'll take a moment to find and fill out the pew pads and to share them with those with whom you might be seated in your pew so that you may be able to greet one another by name following the service. I'd also like to just highlight a few things in the bulletin. We are pleased and delighted to invite you to join us in worship this Holy Week and Easter. We will have services at 12.10 p.m. and 7.30 p.m. on both Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday, with the 7.30 p.m. services also being live streamed. We will also gather in person only for an Easter vigil in partnership with First Presbyterian Church here on Saturday at 7 o'clock p.m. A reminder that on Easter Sunday, in addition to our sunrise service at Oak Street Beach and our afternoon service in Buchanan Chapel, we will be worshiping here in the sanctuary at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We will be live streaming the 9 a.m. service with the prelude beginning around 8.45 a.m., which means that if you will be worshiping with us online, you can do so at any time after 8.45 a.m. that morning. You'll find details about all of these services on our website and in your worship bulletin. There you will also find an invitation to take part in today's Widen Our Welcome LGBTQIA gathering following worship. To join in this morning's informational gathering for the May pilgrimage on the intersection of spirituality and creation that will be facilitated by Pastor Lucy Forster Smith and me. And I am pleased to invite all to ask questions after the service if you're interested in that opportunity. And I'd like to also bring to your attention that the final call for applications to the fourth church choir trip to India uh, is due this week and uh, that trip is scheduled for February 2024. I'd also like to mention that for those who wish after the service, who are here worshiping with us in the sanctuary, wish to pray with a deacon, you may do so by uh, entering the stone chapel that is just to the right of the pulpit, and a deacon will be happy to pray, pray with you one-on-one. -on -one. So many wonderful opportunity, opportunities for us to share prayer and praise, and to support one another this season and beyond. And so in a spirit of thanksgiving, let us continue to worship God together.
Let us join our hearts in prayer. Divine Redeemer, center us today in your holy word. Liberate us from the distractions of daily life and the sins which constrict and close our minds. Help us to hear the truth you intend for us today. Amen. Our Psalter portion appointed for the day is Psalm 118, beginning with the first verse. Listen now for God's word to God's people. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, God's steadfast love endures forever. Open to me the gates of righteousness, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and God has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for God is good. God's steadfast love endures forever. Thanks be to God. On this Palm Passion Sunday, we are turning to the Gospel of John, the 19th chapter. I'll be reading verses 1 through 10, and then I've added a few, the second part of 16 through 22. I invite you to listen for God's living word. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged, and the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they dressed him in a purple robe. They kept coming up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and striking him on the face. 
Pilate went out again and said to them, look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no case against him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold the man. When the religious leaders and the police saw him, they shouted, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no case against him. The Jews answered him, we have a law and according to that law, he ought to die because he has claimed to be the son of God. Now, when Pilate heard this, he was more afraid than ever. He entered his headquarters again and asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Do you not know that I have the power to release you and the power to crucify, crucify you? 16. Then Pilate handed Jesus over to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Hebrew is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side with Jesus between them. Pilate also had an inscription written and put on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. Then the religious leaders of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but this man said I'm king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I've written, I have written. This is the word of the Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ who suffered under Pontius Pilate. Today on this Palm Sunday that has now shifted into passion, we continue to work our way through the Apostles' Creed. Last Sunday, Pastor Joe spoke about the power of having Mary's name, her personhood, as a part of this creed and some of what that means to all of us. But what I realized this week is that one other historical figure is also named Pilate. Now notice, we do not hear about Moses or Abraham or Peter or Paul, just Mary and Pilate, good and evil, sitting side by side every week. How could I have missed that before? But before we can explore that stunning dichotomy more fully in a time when, as numerous news outlets have been recently reporting, anti-Semitic activity attacks have hit an all-time high in our country, we need to again remind ourselves of what the Gospel of John means when it talks about, quote, the Jews. Let's first say what it does not mean. This Gospel is not saying that Jewish people are the enemy of Christian people. Jesus was a Jewish man, full stop. Furthermore, this gospel is not saying that all the Jewish people killed Jesus. There is not some universal stain against all those who shared Jesus' Jewish religious tradition. We have to say that part out loud because, as you know, the Christian church has an awful and violent history of using this particular gospel as a rationale for being anti-Semitic and for committing violent acts against Jewish people. 
In our collective history, Good Friday has become a day on which Christian violence against Jewish people greatly increased. And this is why, again and again, as Christians, we must say no to such a dangerous, violent misinterpretation. For when we sink down into the Gospel of John and get a fuller understanding of the historical period in which it was written, we discover that this Gospel writer was addressing his own Jewish Christian religious community, which had been expelled by the synagogue for reasons that are not entirely known. Yet Jewish New Testament scholar Amy Jill Levine claims there were a variety of good reasons that would have led to their expulsion. For example, she writes, considering this gospel was probably written down around the year 90 CE, it might have been that Jews feared being associated with Christians, even Jewish Christians, because they could be rounded up and persecuted alongside them. Harvard Divinity professor Francois Bovon expands on Dr. Levine's theory by focusing on the actions of the Jewish religious leaders in this Gospel of John. He reflects how, in chapter 11, they basically stated that if they kept letting Jesus go unchecked, then inevitably his preaching, his ability to gather crowds, and his proclamation that God's kingdom was arriving in him would strongly provoke Rome. And in response to that kind of provocation, the Romans would undoubtedly try to destroy the Jewish people's holy places, as well as their entire nation. In other words, he posits the Jewish religious leaders portrayed in this gospel had very good reasons for wishing to retain order and to avoid any further disturbance instigated by Jesus. They were afraid for their people. Part of their task then was to do their very best to keep them out of Rome's crosshairs. And to them, that meant they had to get rid of the threat. They had to get rid of Jesus. Regardless of their reasons, though, the expulsion clearly angered the gospel writer a great deal. An anger we see expressed in his generalized language about, quote, the Jews. Frankly, John's language sounds like reactionary rhetoric, something we understand far too well in our own day and time. Clearly, the gospel writer was angry with those whom he felt had betrayed him and his community. But what about Pontius Pilate? We can easily imagine the gospel writer was angry with him, too. The early church must have been to include his name in the Apostles' Creed, a liturgical marker to signal his participation in the crucifixion of Jesus. So here's what we know about Pilate. He was the Roman regional governor of Judea from 26 to 36 CE. It's worth noting that a lot was expected from those governors in terms of keeping the people in line and loyalty to Rome strong. Roman functionaries who did not do their job to Rome's satisfaction could be called to come to Rome to answer for their shortcomings. Sometimes, if someone wasn't doing their job well enough in Rome's eyes, a soldier was simply dispatched to spare Rome the trouble to go ahead and end the governor's life. So while someone in Pilate's position might enjoy a great deal of wealth and privilege, the specter of Rome always loomed large, and fortunes could shift like the wind. 
Yet before we start feeling sympathetic for Pilate, we should also know that he is described by non-biblical sources, both Jewish and Roman, as a harsh and mean-spirited ruler who disdained his Jewish subjects. His role in the trial and crucifixion of Jesus are well documented, not just here in John's Gospel, but in all of them, along with outside sources. So while we can't say for certain what his motives were in reference to Jesus, whether he was patently cruel or a bureaucrat caught between a Roman rock and a moral hard place, at the very least, he was a man with a certain amount of power who had the opportunity to show mercy, but who did not have the inclination. Now, I do think we have some clues about his motives that we see in the text I just read. One primary clue is that he put a sign on the cross of Jesus, the state's tool of execution. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he had it written in all three common languages so that everyone, no matter who they were, could read it. It was a sign meant to mock the Jewish people and their messianic hopes. It was a sign meant to ridicule the common rabbi named Jesus and his willingness to such, suffer such a humiliating, undignified, violent death. It was a sign writ large for anyone to see and for all to understand. Now, of course, Pilate did not realize that what he was announcing to all the world is actually true, that Jesus is Lord, Savior of this broken world. No, to Pilate... The sign was just one more way he could ridicule and scare all those he felt were beneath him, while at the same time pandering to the Roman government to increase his own value to them. Yet there he is, right there in this ancient liturgical creed of the church. I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. And as I've pondered that throughout this week, I've wondered if part of the reason the early church included Pilate's name was not simply to mark his role in the suffering and crucifixion of Jesus, but also to acknowledge that in some ways they were still suffering under Pontius Pilate. Maybe they imagined that we would also still be suffering under Pontius Pilate. Because let's be honest, there are some days on which it sure feels like Pilate, an actual historical figure who now symbolizes greed, a lust for power regardless of who gets hurt, a desire to use whatever it takes to maintain one's own status, a person placed in the position of authority who regularly abuses the public's trust, that kind of Pilate, it seems sometimes is winning. The New Testament would call all that Pilate symbolizes the powers and the principalities, the spiritual sludge that still lurks in our world even as God continues to work God's own purposes out. This past Friday, the first memorial service was held for one of the children killed at the Covenant School in Nashville. Yesterday, two other services were held at Covenant Presbyterian Church, one for the senior pastor's nine-year-old daughter. I hope he did not have to preach it. Another service will be held this afternoon at the church for another child. 
and the final two memorial services will take place on Tuesday. Day after day in Nashville, they are burying babies and dedicated school staff. And though I doubt it will be made public, the shooter's parents will also have to bury their own child as they are left to wrestle with all the damage that's been done. In 2022, the number one cause of death for our children and youth was gun-related accidents and violence, not motor vehicle accidents like it used to be because we now mandate seat belts and car seats, guns. And in 30 years, only one bipartisan gun control has been passed. Every time there's a mass shooting, especially when it's at a school, I know to expect a text from my college senior daughter. This time it was a phone call. Mom, they were nine years old. I know, sweetie. I'm so sorry. It was the only thing I knew to say. She's told me before that she and her friends live with an assumption that at some point it will happen to them or to people that they know. Our children are still suffering under Pontius Pilate. What do we do in the face of all of it? Pray? Absolutely. Yet as conservative columnist David French wrote in the New York Times this past week, for the faithful believer, prayer isn't a substitute for action. It's a prerequisite for action. It grounds us before we move to serve others. It grounds us before we speak in the public square. God, have mercy, we ask. Lord, have mercy, we plead. But then, he continued, we must act to heal wounded hearts, to bear one another's burdens, and to address the terrible scourge of violence that scars our land." End quote. Now, I'm not going to stand here and tell you what your actions need to be. I trust your prayerful discernment. But I believe there was a reason why the early church named Pilate and put him right beside Mary that goes beyond simply locating Jesus in a particular time and historical space. A reason that goes beyond tying him to the death of our Lord. I think they named Pilate to serve as a liturgical marker, a way to remind us every time we say the creed that because of Jesus, the very one we will follow to the table and to the cross and to the empty tomb during this holy week because of the one who is our brother and our savior and the promise of God's constant presence we know through him because of the one we call Jesus our Christ we have the holy power to stand up to Pilate we have the holy power to stand up to greed we have the holy power to stand up to the lust for power over no matter the cost. We have the holy power to stand up and to act out on behalf of those whose little voices are not yet strong enough to be heard. Or for those whose voices have been far long too silenced. In the end, as we will mark next Sunday on Easter, we know that Pilate did not and will not have the last word. Only God does. And indeed, that word will be a word of life and healing and creation. But that does not mean that we do not have an active part to play to ease the suffering that still happens under Pontius Pilate. We have the holy power 
to do so. So every time we say his name in that ancient creed, may we remember that charge, that call, that commission. And may God give us courage. I believe in Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. May his name now become code for us to pray always and to act. Amen.
remembering Christ's love for us, together let us profess what we believe using words from the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Holy Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And friends, let us continue in prayer. Holy God, you whose deep and abiding love for us embraced that long and lonely journey to the cross, we do humbly ask that you bring us close to you in this most holy of weeks as we make this journey once more in meditation and reflection. Through Jesus' faithfulness, even as he was being betrayed, his peace even in the face of violence, his love even when surrounded by resentment, mocking, and hate. We see a better, more hopeful way for our world and pray that it would one day indeed be our reality. And yet just as it was in Jesus' time, there are far too many who see violence, war, and hate as solutions rather than the very thing tearing us apart. We do indeed pray for the victims of yet another school shooting this past week, for those staff and children who lost their lives at Nashville Covenant, and for an entire community who has suffered deep and lasting harm. We grieve that gun violence has become so ingrained in our country that we are on pace yet again to have more mass shootings than days in our year, and pray that more would be done to protect our children than to protect access to weapons. We continue to pray for all those affected by ongoing wars, including that in Ukraine, and for all those who are affected by violence and oppression perpetrated by authoritarian regimes around the globe as they cling to power above the sake of their own people. We pray for those hurt by violence in ways that appear outside the, he the headlines as well from cases of domestic violence to emotional or verbal abuse. We lift our prayers for safety and well-being, while also praying for Christ's healing and wholeness for all those who experience brokenness. We lift up all that pain to you and more, O oh Lord, knowing that you understand more deeply than we can realize. You who have experienced the pain of betrayal, the pain of the cross, and the pain of death. And so we lift all that up to you, longing and believing and trusting that your promise of transformation is indeed possible, that hope can occur even in places that feel hopeless, and that new life can come even in the face of death, despite looking out into a world that seems to proclaim the opposite. And we lift that up, asking that you challenge us to be part of your answer to the cries of this world around us, and that you would lead us in the way of Christ, the way of faithfulness, of hope, and love. 
Give us courage to take up our own cross and in full reliance on your love and grace that you would help us to follow Christ wherever he might lead us. Help us to love you above all else and to love our neighbor as ourselves, demonstrating that love in deed and in word by the power of your Holy Spirit. In all of our thoughts and actions, may we be your servants and reflect your love. And give us strength to serve you faithfully until the day you come again, when all your promises might be fully realized. We pray this in the name of your Son, who lives and reigns with you forever, and who taught us to pray for the coming of your kingdom. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, indeed, friends, remembering that Christ gave his life that we might know of God's deep and abiding love for us. May we respond to God's amazing generosity with our own gifts, which we lift up in a spirit of gratitude and praise. These gifts help to feed those who are hungry, provide stability and supportive services to those who are struggling, and provide kids and adults alike opportunities to grow through education and to deepen their faith. So whether you are giving here in the sanctuary or online, all of these offerings go to support the work and ministry of this congregation and the thousands of lives that we seek to impact each year. Our morning offering will now be received.
And together, let us dedicate our offerings in prayer. You created all there is, O God, and with love formed us in your image. Even when our love failed, your love remained steadfast. In humility, may our gifts reflect our renewed commitment to you and your good news, giving back to you and your people in gratitude for the generosity, grace, and love shown to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Week worship continues this coming Thursday. But until then, remember, this is God's world, not Pilate's. So go out into this world in peace and have courage. Hold on to what is good. Return no person evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted, support the weak, help the suffering. 
Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord, rejoicing in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And may God bless you and keep you. May God make God's face to shine upon you. May God be gracious to you and give you peace now and forevermore. Amen.